Hey guys, I'm sure excited about our guided tour to the warehouse of Jet's Toy Hut. Yeah, they may have the largest selection of Star Wars collectibles in stock on Amazon.com and Amazon.co.uk, but I'm still looking forward to seeing all the great action figures in person. I think this is the place. It must be down this chute. Yeah, that chute smells like Sith funk. Get in there, you big furry oaf. I don't care what you smell. Whoa! Whoa! Hey, look at all these different sized custom toy hut boxes. Yeah, that's their zero movement policy. All the orders are hand packed. Hey, Wolf, they're closing in. Oh. Don't just stand there. Try to brace it with something. Uh, oh, oh, no. Get on top of it. Get on top I'm of trying. it. We're all gonna die. Wait, wait. I'll call a sound into your mic. Mike, can you shut down the garbage compactor? Oh. <sighs> Here we go. The warehouse must be through this door. Oh no, Imperial Stormtroopers! Let's just go home and order through ToyHut.com. Is that Hut with two T's? That's right. T-O-Y-H-U-T-T dot com. They ship to every country. Oh, poodoo, Kevin's dead. ToyHut.com All too easy. You are about to listen to part two of two of Doomed Expeditions. If you haven't listened to part one, you probably should. If you land at a cove that's named after a Doomed Expedition, you might be a Doomed Expedition. If you bought Northern Hemisphere ponies and are traveling to the Southern Hemisphere, (laughs) you may be a Doomed Expedition. If you hadn't made plans for the rare occasion that your balloon will crash... You might be on a doomed expedition. If you begin to eat your shipmates, you might be a doomed expedition. (laughs) If you poison your captain because you disagree with his policies, you may be on a doomed expedition. If you you throw your boiler overboard (laughs) right before the expedition starts, you might be on a doomed expedition. If you think the civilization that has has survived in the Arctic for millions of years are idiots, you may be a doomed expedition. Brainless savages. If... If your ship's captain is an incorrigible drunk, you might be a doomed expedition. (laughs) All right, let's move three years into the future, 1913. The future, Conan? The modern era. Well, the future from 1910. On the verge of the world's greatest war. All the way. To the year 1913. <laughs> <laughs> the Carluck. The Carluck. Carluck. It's got l- luck in the title. Yep. It's a good start. Mission briefing. Leader, Captain Bob Bartlett. Okay. The mission, to take a crew of geologists, anthropologists, meteorologists, and other scientists north of the Yukon to Herschel Island, where they would establish a base and survey the region's flora, fauna, mineral deposits, etc. Okay, Herschel. That doesn't. There's no hopeless or, uh, no. or or vanquished or you know starving in the title <laughs> or nose fallen off your face from frostbite point. Yeah. So it. Uh, <laughs> they, they've at least learned one thing on this expedition. So all right, we're starting out well. The start date: 1913, departing British Columbia. All right. Transport the wooden-hulled Carluck, an old and underpowered wooden ship that had been converted into a whaling vessel 14 years prior. I don't like the fact that you used underpowered to describe (laughs) that ship. (laughs) The crew, 10 scientists, 
13 crew members, four Inuit hunters, one seamstress, her two children, and one passenger. The seamstress seems extraneous, but... The passenger seems extraneous. <laughs> yes, yes. That's true. You gotta look good while you're out on okay. an expedition. But, you know, they got four Inuit, so they're down with the natives, mm-hmm. right? They've got more crew members than scientists, so people who can actually, hopefully, navigate the waters and get you to your destination. So, seems like they're doing everything right so far. Not am not sure where this is going to go wrong, but... Let's find out together. <laughs> <laughs> so they encountered heavy sea ice less than two months in, and by August, Carluck became solidly ice-locked, about 225 miles northwest of Alaska. The vessel drifted helplessly with the pack ice, unable to free itself and to reach Herschel Island. The ice stopped moving for a few days in mid-September, and Stefansson, the Canadian explorer on board... Wilhalmur Stefansson mm-hmm. decided to leave the ship with five other men, 14 dogs, and two sledges to hunt caribou. The group prepared for a 10-day expedition, hoping the ship's static position would allow them to return safely. Just two days after their departure, strong winds moved the Karluk rapidly to the west, making it impossible for Stefansson and his team to find the vessel. Oh. Because hmm. it sounded like a solid plan. It's like, okay, we might be getting short of supplies, whatever. We'll go out, we'll get a couple of caribou. We'll yeah. send be right it, back. Let's send out the explorer, yeah. give him plenty of dogs. The yeah. people who know what's going on, let them go do it. Now, he traveled south by dog sledge and eventually reached Alaska. Okay. So he's okay. So he got out. But he's not part of the expedition anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and he seems like maybe the most competent guy who was on the mission and in now the first place. And now he's out. Uh, the Carluck, meanwhile, drifted for months amid the ice flows until ice punched a large hole in its side. Ooh. Now, Bartlett had prepared for the sinking weeks earlier when he ordered crew to build igloos on the ice. Okay. All right. As okay. the Carluck slowly sank, expedition members removed all supplies and abandoned ship. Bartlett stayed on board until the last possible moment, playing dozens of rec- records on the ship's Victrola. He placed Chopin's funeral march, stepped onto the ice, and watched the Carluck disappear below the water. I think we found our intermission song. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I totally have a mental picture of that moment from the first Pirates of the Caribbean where Johnny Depp steps off of the mast, like That's onto right. the pier. As it sinks right in the harbor. Oh, yeah. This is exactly what he did. He, like, stood in the crow's nest and just, like, stepped off onto the ice floe. Bartlett planned to remain at what he called shipwreck camp until the light returned in February, at which point he and all the other expedition members would travel by dog to Wrangell Island in the south. Okay. Four men in the group disagreed with Bartlett's plan. Oh. They decided to travel south on their own. At their request, Bartlett equipped them with a sledge, dog, and supplies to last 50 days. In return, the man wrote Bartlett a letter absolving him of any responsibility for this. So he's like, you guys can go do this. I think it's a bad idea. Yeah. So I want you to write and sign a letter saying, we appreciate the fact that you think this is a bad idea, but we're going to do it anyway. Screw you. Again, reasonable. Uh, this is all very reasonable so very far. different from all these very other different from every single other expedition we've spoken of so far. Okay. The four left shipwreck camp in late January and were never heard from again. <laughs> of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but the polar bears ate well that winter. Bartlett sent small teams of men across the ice to establish a chain of supply caches toward Wrangell Island. Uh, the first group okay. consisted of the first and second mates, as well as two crewmen. Although the men eventually reached an island 50 miles south, they never left. Other expeditions members came searching for them about a week later, but falsely assumed they had fallen through the ice and died. It was not until 15 years later that a passing vessel found their skeletons. Oh. So were they alive and they just missed each other? Or do you think they had died on the island before the other expedition members got there? 
Impossible to know. Impossible to know. But either one of those. Both tragic. So Bartlett and all remaining 16 expedition members left shipwreck camp in February and began traveling by dog to Wrangell Island, uh, which they reached two weeks later. Oh, okay. Hmm. They got to Wrangell Island. Yeah. Days later, Bartlett and Inuit hunter Kataktovik departed on a 700-mile sledge journey to Siberia and the Bering Strait for help. In early April, they reached uh, an Inuit village in Siberia and continued on to the Bering Strait and tried to mount a rescue. The survivors were rescued eight months after the Karlik sank. Three men died on the island, and the remaining 11 expedition members survived by digging for roots, hunting duck, seals, walrus, and other animals. Hunting walrus, that's intense. That is intense. <laughs> well, th- See, this walrus, is, this I mean, is walrus coloring. is scary, but it doesn't have a gun. It's got big tusks. It would crush you. A walrus would crush you. It's not like up on you, right? It's yeah, that's a, oh, true. there's a walrus. Blam. It's not a fair fight fair once enough. you get a gun. Yeah. Once you have a gun, <laughs> okay. it's true. So that's that's how it all turned out. This is gonna this is like a one on the dumometer because they did everything right. Well, I can't say one. I mean, people died and they yeah, got, that's why they I give got it a stuck one. in the ice. That's why uh, I give it a one. I'm gonna go three. Of the 31 total crew, 11 died. So 33. percent All right, yeah. I'll, I'll that'll I'll jack it up to uh, a two. This is just what happens when you go on these dangerous missions. Like yeah. they did everything right. Like every you know sort all of the ones who stuck with the captain. Yeah, there was no real. S- silly foolishness right. involved. They didn't reach Herschel Island, though. They did not reach Herschel Island, but that's that's more like the rule rather than the exception. <laughs> Scott seemed to have been the exception to actually getting yeah. to your, your goal, right? Your ship is crushed in the ice, though. Yeah. That's got to be worth at least a five. I don't know. Um, I, I'm sticking with my two. Oh, all right. Yeah. I'll go okay. for the three. I'm going to say five, too. Okay. You guys are uh, extremely generous with your dumometer scores. <laughs> you, I got to give you. I gotta what tell you right would now. you call a three if, if like somebody stubbed their toe on the way? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we'll, <laughs> and we'll get to that one right now. An ingrown toenail. <laughs> it's like, we're doomed. Oh. Back to England. Oh, oh my, my toe. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that's a three. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Ah. All right. Here's the last one. Uh, 1914, Shackleton and the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition. Ah, yes. Shackleton. Endurance. Yes. All right. The mission briefing. Leader, Ernest Shackleton. Mission, overland journey across Antarctica. Mm -hmm. Ernest goes to Antarctica. (laughs) That would be an awesome movie. (laughs) It's too bad Jim Barney's dead. Hey, Vern. Hey, Vern. Time to eat them dogs. Uh, Jim Barney. Uh, start date, December 5th, 1914, uh, is when they leave South Georgia for Antarctica. The transport is a three-masted Barkentine, the mm-hmm. Endurance. Now, a good name, the a Endurance. A good name I like for that. An, an expedition this boat. This ship will last. Yeah. And, of course, they did have another ship that went to the other side to pick them up. They had a catching ship. That was the, uh, the endurance, Aurora. The Endurance was a pitching ship. The then, Aurora was the catching Aurora, ship. Aurora, exactly. a good one. Had this been a truly overly doomed expedition, it would have been the HMCS No Hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The HMS Fucked. <laughs> uh, Named after Sir Robert Fucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, spelled F-U-C-H-T, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the crew, 28, including one stowaway. Oh, they had a stowaway? Who, who is that? Uh, <laughs> I, of all the ships that you can stow away on. Yeah, it's like uh, he's walking down the down the port, and it's like, oh, this one's going to Hawaii. <laughs> this one's going to Fiji. That one's going to India. This one's going to South Africa. Well, he's probably one... being chased by an angry mob or something, and he's just <laughs> I just got to hide in this crate. <laughs> yeah. And Antarctica! Like, that is actually no how... Boy. That's actually exactly how Ernest Ghost Antarctica starts. <laughs> 14 men would land on Antarctica. 
of whom six under Shackleton would form the Transcontinental Party. So they're not trying to make the South Pole. They're trying to just traverse yeah, the entire the, Antarctic the entire continent. Then they'd be the first ones to do that because yeah. he'd already been beaten to the South Pole by several other people. Yeah. This group with 69 dogs, two motor sledges, and equipment would undertake the 1,800-mile journey to the Ross Sea. Okay. The remaining eight shore party members would carry out scientific work. And again, Shackleton received more than 5,000 applications for places on the expedition. He's the one with that crazy ad in the paper. Yes. That, that's how he advertised yes. to, for his expeditionary. Yeah. Which basically read, people wanted for doomed expedition. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, yeah. honor and recognition <laughs> in case of success. In case. If well, we get lucky and we're successful, honor yeah. and recognition. He did not falsely advertise. No. And he still got 5,000 people. I'm sticking with my, they're like clinically depressed people constantly <laughs> trying to get these jobs. 5,000 self-sabotaging suckers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So in late January 1915, endurance became ice locked. Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah, as they always do. February 14th, crewmen on to the ice with ice chisels, saws, and picks to try and force a passage. We, in preparation for this episode, saw the documentary on Shackleton called The Endurance. Narrated by Liam Neeson. Narrated by Liam Neeson. And they actually have film of them doing all these things. Like, they had a, because it's 1914, they had a film camera and they had, like, an official photographer. So you can see these guys in parkas with giant saws in front of a boat trying to, standing on the ice that they're sawing yeah <laughs> and with pickaxes and stuff yeah. like that like we're definitely we'll, we'll be able to post some of this video on the website i'm I can sure take some, some captures yeah yeah caustic podcast.com you have to come and check it out and knowing that this was actually shot as this mission was going on i don't know i gave you like an extra poignancy to me yeah they made ice kennels or dog loos dog loos <laughs> and were drifting in a northerly direction this ice fall which is the opposite of where they wanted to go i'm wondering oh, if they yeah. had one dog who named snoopy who insisted on sleeping on the top of the, <laughs> dog, the dog loo yeah maybe <laughs> on october 24th Fourth, ice began to crush the ship. Apparently, their ship was badly shaped. Like, I guess if you have a steep enough curve on the side, that if ice pushes in, it will actually lift the ship up, and the ice will slowly just force it up onto the surface and close beneath it. But their oh. ship was too vertical, oh. so the ice just smashed it. They had bad angles. It wouldn't be buoyed. Buoyed. When the timbers broke, they made noises which sailors described as being similar to the sound of heavy fireworks and the blasting of guns. All right, okay. I can believe it, because yeah. like, it's a, Snap, it's a slow, yeah. unstoppable pressure. So yeah. it's just, you can probably hear the creaking, and then pow, and then eventually hits that point where it just can't bend anymore and yeah. snaps open really loud. Yeah. So supplies and three lifeboats were transferred to the ice while the crew attempted to shore up the boat's hull and pump out the incoming sea. And a few days later, in freezing temperatures below minus 25 Celsius, Shackleton ordered abandoned ship. The wreckage remained afloat, and over the following weeks, the crew salvaged further supplies and materials, including photos and cameras, which is... Actually, the photographer had to be lowered, I think, by his ankles into some underwater portions to get his film and some prepared plates. So Ugh. that's why we've got video swimming in it. Yeah. <laughs> that is a man dedicated to craft. If I'm the official yeah. cinematographer of this mission, like, okay, we're going to tie a rope around your ankles. We're going to dip you into, into the ocean water. so you can recover your film and be like... It's not that important. <laughs> I got, I, you know what? I got doubles. I got copies in my stuff over there. Can I remember them it? in my mind. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just I'm draw a them. mental image. I'm, I'm a, a pretty good sketch artist. I think I can redraw <laughs> what I've seen. Yeah, he, he draws one of those flip books. He's like, look, Shackleton, look. 
practically a movie. <laughs> she had a little notepad with yeah. those little doodles. Yeah, that's right in the nice. corner. Right. <laughs> the ship's log. The men were running low on shoes, and they had to make new shoes out of wood from the scavenged pieces of the ship. Shoes out of wood? Antarctic clogs. There were some (laughs) some Dutchmen on board, obviously. So on the 30th of October, the ice march began, westward with lifeboats on sledges. Uh, The weakest animals were shot, including uh, the carpenter's cat. You remember the cat's name? Oh, I thought for a second you were going to say the carpenter. (laughs) Mrs. Chippy. Mrs. Chippy. Uh, Apparently, oh. the carpenter never forgave Shackleton, and for years, you know, upon his deathbed, sort of thing would say, Shackleton shot my cat. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Chippy has her own Wikipedia page. Of course she does. It's crazy. Torrin, it's longer than I'm, yours. Why? <laughs> Why did they bring Well, maybe I'll be shot, and after I am, my Wikipedia entry will be longer. Uh, Kevin Leeson shot my lead singer. (laughs) In three days, the party managed to travel barely two miles, and the march was aborted. And they set up what they called Ocean Camp. Okay. In December, the second march began. Uh, The ship's carpenter, Harry McNish, rebelled and refused to work. Guys, remember this? He's mad about his cat. This would later cost him the Polar Medal. I remember Which that. Most well, other... there, and there were two other guys that joined him in his little mini mutiny. Well, there are three who didn't get the medal, but I think it was three different things. Oh, okay. Uh, this was Patience Camp, where the supplies began to become low. Again, nicely named. Yeah. Patience, guys. <laughs> we're going to sit Just here for chill. at least a month. <laughs> in January 1916, all but two teams of the dogs were shot. In 1916. So they've been on the ice now for two years. I think it was about a year, year and, and a half. half. But I guess they still weren't eating the dogs. But that changed in April. <laughs> I would imagine. When the last dogs were shot. Seeing as how April in November supplies were getting low. Yeah. April, it becomes dog eating time. Yep. Can't even imagine. I'd shoot that cat in a heartbeat, but killing and eating the dogs. I mean, I know I would, would if I had to, but wow, boy. I would be like face deep in dog before we even shot him. But think about it like, <laughs> I mean, like I'm going to chop me. They don't need tails, right? I could cook a tail, right? I, I could do it for a dog I don't know. But like this is these are dogs that have been with you this whole time. For like a year you and might half, have yeah. even been like sleeping with them to stay warm. You know, like they're your buddy. You play with them. You know, no, actually maybe they I'm were kept an, separate. Maybe I'm not an animal person, but I would have yes. been wearing them their skins as a. I'd like made a coat just out of spite. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd, see, that's not how I feel a dog person. I would have, I would have stuffed my pillow. I would have shaved them and stuffed my pillows with the hair <laughs> while they're alive. Right? Yeah, yeah, you don't need all that fur. You grow up back. They got a dog. Loop. dog this dog is shivering. <laughs> <laughs> I call this dog Mister Coat. <laughs> so at this point, the flow suddenly split. The camp was now on a small triangular raft of ice. Dope. Shackleton readied the lifeboats for the party's enforced departure the next day. Mm-hmm. In temperatures sometimes as low as minus 20 Fahrenheit, that's minus 30 Celsius, with little food and regular soakings in icy water, wearing the men down physically and mentally, uh, Shackleton decided that Elephant Island, the nearest of the possible refuges, was the only option. So on April 14th, they landed on Elephant Island. 24th of April, Shackleton and five of the crew set out in a reinforced lifeboat, cannibalized from the others, leaving the rest of the crew on Elephant Island. They made sort of like a little shanty out of the remnants of like yeah, the, the, other, yeah. the, the other lifeboat. And I do remember seeing online a diagram of the like a cross-section of the lifeboat camp. Yeah, where they're like, like, kind of like stacked, stacked like cordwood, yeah, right? Exactly. They're all like lying on top of one another, and you're like... 
You're going to get to know those guys pretty well. Yeah, you, you know who they, snores and who doesn't. <laughs> yeah, this is like a band of brothers in a whole different way. On the 5th of May, a gale almost caused the boat's destruction as it faced what Shackleton described as the largest waves he had seen in 26 years at sea. Wow. So finally they land on May 10th on the south coast of South Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, South Georgia is populated by whaling stations, but on the northern coast. So they landed on the yeah. opposite side yes. to where they wanted to land. And in between the north and south coast is basically a big mountain. Yeah. Hey, the well, place is unknown. And the reason that, uh, like lifeboats, these lifeboats aren't generally made to steer, and they had like kind of a makeshift sail that was sort of like tattered because of the storm. I seem to remember something like that from the, the uh, documentary, and that's why they couldn't, they weren't going to be able to navigate around to the north side. just wasn't right. practical. They were, they were almost lucky that they were able to navigate at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was a hurricane when they were getting close to the shore. They had to hover off the edge before going into land, lest they be dashed to pieces on the rocks. Mm-hmm. Lest they Safer be to dashed. stay in the giant waves than yep. the crags. If I remember yep. the numbers right from the documentary we watched, they had a 10-mile-wide spot to hit, yeah. and they were 800 miles away. Yeah. So if they were off by only a few degrees, they just would have completely missed the island altogether. Yeah, because one wow. of the guys was actually navigating with uh, the yeah. sextant. Yeah. yeah, against a horizon he couldn't see. He couldn't see because <laughs> of the, like, uh, the big waves. And yeah. so it was kind of a miracle that they even hit the island he, in the first place. He had place. to have the other two guys steady him while he tried to take readings in a bobbing sea up and down and then <laughs> hope that he would hit this 10-mile-wide stretch of beach yeah. from 800 miles away. And they did. And then they made the overland trek over <laughs> South Georgia. <laughs> they what? Although I think uh, only two of the guys of the four went. Yes, they left mm-hmm. the other two behind because they're weak and yeah. pitiful wretches. This is where they made a makeshift uh, kind of sledge out of rope and slid down the side of a mountain into the, if I recall, into the darkness. Yeah, like they just yeah. went. Well, it goes down here. If we don't make it by nightfall, we're going to have to stay another night on this mountain, and that's a bad idea. So we're going to have to just make this sled and slide down in the darkness and hope we get. Oh, we closer. get close to camp or yeah. whatever. And there was also the bit where they stopped for like five minutes and Shackleton let all the other guys go to sleep. Oh, yeah. But he knew that if he fell asleep, that they would all just like die from exposure out on yeah. the side. So he woke them up after five minutes and told them he let them sleep for, for like, like a half, half an, an hour. hour. Yeah. What so an like, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's pretty clever. There I don't were, even know if I would have come up with that. I remember them talking about lots of really great leadership that he did. Like, yeah. he had recognized faults on other expeditions, had determined that he was not going to let that happen. So he's very strict with the men, but also encouraged them to enjoy themselves and keep up their spirits and all that kind of stuff. And morale was part of his yeah. tactic. Jess, do you remember what, what expedition we already talked about that he was on? He was on Scott's Discovery Expedition. Oh, okay. Not, not a doomed that. one. Yeah, it wasn't a doomed one, but he had worked yeah. with Scott before yeah. Scott's mm-hmm. doomed expedition. Yeah. yeah, the Discovery Expedition. Which had its own dog-eating moments. But yeah. that's, that's... <laughs> and it also had a dead cat. So it wasn't all bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was tradition, tradition then. <laughs> so I wonder if when they go shopping for their dogs, if they go, that one will be tasty. Like if they keep it in the back of their mind that like get, get the fleshier ones because you got to, you know, you might, you're probably going to have to eat it at some point in time or another. It's actually part of the survival strategy. It's part of what made Amundsen successful and part of what made Shackleton successful, that they planned on letting the meat carry itself. And yeah. when it started to get weak, distribute it to those who are left to eat it. So then finally on May 21st, they reach civilization. Shackleton and three or four other guys get out. They make it back to the whaling station, but there's still like a couple of dozen guys back on Elephant Island. Which they, which they go and rescue. Yeah. After a few, couple more weeks. No, it was a couple more months, couple wasn't more it? Months. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And those guys had finally resigned to their fate. They're never going to come get us. We're going to have to take apart this makeshift hut that we've made out of our remaining boats 
and make a boat out of it. And try and make it and ourselves. And try and make it. And they were basically inside planning to do that when Shackleton, Shackleton showed up. Shackleton showed but up. But it was like four months later or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I just remember watching this documentary and you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we're really just covering the, the very bare bones of this. It is a great documentary and just a terrible story. Dumometer. This one, I'm going to give it a high score because of how they got around the doom. I think your dumometer is precisely the opposite of our dumometer. Because yes. <laughs> yeah. your dumometer is how awesome it is, and our dumometer is how doomed it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, okay, on the doomed side of it, I mean, it's like it's like a one, because like, nobody died. Yeah, That's actually not correct. Three men died on the catcher side, the Ross Island fetching ship. Yeah, they had deaths and needed to be rescued after the Elephant Island guys got rescued. We didn't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but it's a good still, thing we've got you here. Out of like, you know, probably 40 or 50 men, you got three dying. It's kind of just like the cost of doing business. And they certainly business, didn't succeed it? in their mission, though. They certainly no. did not succeed in their mission. So and the expedition part They had was two good. years of suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. it was... Oh, they lived on the ice for six months or something? Well, and when you see the photos of the guys, like, they're all... Like, every exposed piece of flesh is black with frostbite. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, there was definitely some fingers and noses being lost, I'm sure. and But not particularly doomed. I'm going to give it a three. Uh, I would agree with that. I The suck scale is way higher. Because it was just yeah. what they had to put up with. Like, and just getting... Every time they thought that they were, okay, we'll go live in the ice for a bit, and then we'll be able to trek over once it's done. And then, oh no, the whole ice pack is rotating around. <laughs> yeah, going and we're in the actually opposite direction of where you're trying to. A thousand miles from where we need to go now. Oops. But it, as far as Doom goes, Shackleton really held it together. I'll go with like a three as well. I'm going to say a five. I think I st- seem to be scoring a little higher than you guys, but definitely super high on the suck. Yeah. But pretty yeah. good on the survivability at the end of the day, minus yeah, yeah. a few feet and, and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was some amputations due to frostbite. I don't remember exactly. What sucks for a lot of them on top of this is they got finally got back to England after being gone for two years, stuck there. And World War One is going on. And oh. a whole bunch of them enlist, and some of them die within weeks yes. in the war. <laughs> and also, the, the... because England doesn't want living heroes from an expedition they want dead war heroes to pump up right they basically got forgotten about until almost fairly recently they got lost in the pr campaign exactly. yeah that was the epilogue to the documentary it was talking about all the guys who went off to the war and died in trenches in, in france <laughs> now i have public service announcement how to survive if you're stranded on an iceberg Ooh, good. okay okay useful, useful information or not <laughs> i say yes Number one, construct a shelter. You okay. can you can make your snow cave. Mm-hmm. Your dog loo. Or your dog loo. <laughs> if you have a dog. Uh, or you can make a snow trench, which is a deep channel in the snow. Cover the top by stacking snow blocks or improvising a tarp of materials on hand. Uh, a snow trench requires less energy and time to construct, but will limit your range of movement. Mm-hmm. It should only be used if you expect quick rescue, which, as we know, is <laughs> not Rare indeed. Uh, number two, melt snow and ice to make water. You can also scrape shavings from the topmost layer of ice if there's no snow. Uh, Though sea ice contains salt, over time the salt leaches from the ice due to surface melt, and the water from the top ice should be safe for drinking. Oh, Mm, clever. Interesting. Uh, Do not use a lead-lined distillery. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'll try to remember that one. Cross icebergs to get closer to land. Oh, the iceberg simple, hopping. I bet it really yeah. isn't. <laughs> yeah, it use, sounds simpler use than caution it is. Yeah. when crossing... <laughs> 
icebergs. Yeah, because they're kind of made out of ice. Yeah. Yeah. What is the next one? Ride on the back of a polar bear to civilization? <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah. There's water in between them. Yeah. yeah. Test the strength of ice by pressing lightly with a foot and adding pressure until you are certain it can support your weight. Okay. Catch fish and seabirds. Fashion a fishing rod with anything available. Seabirds congregate on icebergs and may be killed with ice balls. If you are good at throwing ice balls. balls. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even if all you do is stun them, then you can... Jump on them, throttle them or something. Run across the ice. (laughs) Grab it. Fall on it. Crush it to death. (laughs) What? And then you then you build like a suit of like seabird feathers. Yeah, you got and a, you you've got a real tuxedo made out of <laughs> yeah. penguins. Yeah, I can just That's see meta. wearing this emperor penguin head <laughs> as a hat. It's beak mm, sticking nice out and over phallic. your forehead. Uh, I'm King Penguin. I'm the emperor of all the emperors. I think we created a new Batman villain origin that's much better than his current one. Look for seals. Seals eat fish, and you may able to be able to scare one away from a fresh catch. As a last resort, and only if your life is at risk, consider killing a seal. Seals can serve both as food and as a source of fuel. Those blubber uh, candles. Approach adults stealthily from the rear and kill using a club, harpoon, or homemade spear to the skull. Mm-hmm. So why is it saying that that's a last resort? Because they're fucking dangerous. Okay. Does it say that in there? Uh, no. Because they're fucking dangerous. <laughs> right in your little book. Uh, make fuel from seal blubber. Cut blubber, the fat from the seal carcass, and place in the best bowl you can fashion using an implement. Pound the blubber until it liquefies. Roll a small piece of material into a wick, place it in the blubber, and light. This all sounds like advice you would never be able to actually do. <laughs> How do I light it? Do I, like, rub two icicles together? Yes, yeah. exactly. You've got implements and knives and wicks and matches. Well, presumably not... you have your fanny pack with you. This is certainly a best-case scenario. <laughs> From the worst case case scenario scenario handbook. handbook. Yeah. You're stranded on a glacier with a ton of equipment. Here's what you do. Try contacting civilization with your satellite phone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you don't have one, you can fashion one out of ice. (laughs) Out of coconuts. (laughs) Arctic coconuts. Uh, You can, of course, boil seal meat for food. And you can burn moist seal skins to create smoky signal fires during the day. However, your best chance of polar rescue is from land. Just because a ship can see you on an iceberg doesn't mean it can rescue you. Keep that in mind. Mm. Okay. Small penguins are also a good food source. Now, penguins have most of their strength in their flippers. So avoid being bashed by a flipper when hunting by approaching from the rear and pinning wings to the sides. This is important. (laughs) Penguin catching technique. All right. (laughs) Avoid attacking from the front or you risk being badly beaked. Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah, they do look pointy. And I guess they're all neck. Like, they must have a lot of actual <laughs> beak muscle. Power. Like, yeah. beaky power, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the beaking you'll get.
Pop culture. Pop culture. Does the Blair Witch Project count? Yeah, they're they're on a like a little mini expedition. They have a mission in mind that they uh, something that they want to accomplish, and there's definitely doom involved. Do they all die in the end? The video just ends, and then they say they had to do a little like write up thing where they found the footage, and then these people were never seen. Oh again. yeah, so they oh, were wow. doomed. Definitely doomed. Yes. Yeah. They totally copied the setup from the uh, Worship Me Like a God video. Though. Yes, which we did like yes. five or ten years before. Those bastards. Nobody else has ever thought of that. No. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I keep seeing films where it's like they were never found and then we found this footage. And I was like, oh, damn it. I thought we were being clever with that. <laughs> we're just ahead of our time, man. I really like the Blair Witch Project. When I went to see it, it was super crazy cold in the theater. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think that added to the experience. Yeah. Because <laughs> I felt like I was camping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, I I'm mean, uncomfortable and miserable in this movie. It's awesome. I worked with a couple of people who tried to go and see it one night after I raved about it and actually got motion sick and had to leave. And Oh, I can oh, yeah. see yeah. that. Yeah. It, was, it seemed like one of those movies that was a love it or hate it kind of movie. By the time I saw it, I had already heard a lot of the hype. Oh, yeah. That would ruin so, a lot of it. So, yeah. I think it's the kind of movie where if you'd gone in going, really? It's just fucking hand cam shots of people scared in the woods that you'd come out going, wow, I can't believe they pulled that off. I went in early enough that there were people that I either talked to about going to see it or when saw with it who mm. actually thought it was a documentary. That's how early in the process. Oh, that's nice. I went and saw it. Like, it was in the first week, totally in the first week yeah. I went and saw it. That would have been awesome and to people see people in that theater, I guarantee you there was a percentage of the people in that theater who thought it was real, who heard about it on the on the online hype. Like This, this yeah. is one of the first movies that had a viral marketing campaign. Yeah. Paranormal Activity board heavily from this and, you know, I mean, they were the template for creating online buzz and, and getting your movie, releasing your movie basically that way. I've got some trivia. All right. Okay. To promote discord between actors, the directors deliberately gave them less food each day of shooting. Oh, I like that. As one of their messages to the cast read, your safety is our concern. Your comfort is not. <laughs> Wow. That's right, because they they didn't actually set up shots for that, did they? They just sent them out in the woods and then yeah. followed them around and filmed them. They gave them cameras. and Yeah, yeah, because there were definitely a lot of sequences where they were filming themselves, for sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, the actors were given no more than a 35-page outline of the mythology behind the plot before shooting began, and all lines were improvised. It actually, you take these non-professional actors, and you if you have them sit there reciting lines... Yeah. You're not going to get a that real realism from them because they're just not practiced enough in it, mm -hmm. right? That's why you have to give them an outline and just have them react and then just do it over and over and over. And then you find the movie in editing, right? Yep. I can understand that. Much like our podcast. And this is why none of the actors from Blair Witch have gone on to do pretty much anything <laughs> else. Or they had, the, the filmmakers, for that matter, haven't really done anything else either. What about Blair Witch 2? They did that. The witching. <laughs> they did that. Aguira, the wrath of God. Aguire? Aguirre. Aguirre. We watched that together. I like the monkeys at the end, especially. Yeah. That was really cool. I That one, I, it pulled me out of the movie because I was like, how did they film this? <laughs> how could they possibly film this? This is what you get for um, being a Werner Herzog movie shooting in a foreign country in like 1972. You're pretty much allowed to do whatever you want, right? All, yeah, but but I don't mean that. I just mean like, how did they get these monkeys to, to do this on the raft? Like, it almost feels like found footage. Like maybe they were filming the guy and the monkeys jumped on the raft and he said, keep filming. Yeah. Do something. Move around. That might have actually happened. Yeah. He grabs that monkey, just throws it down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I think this is before the uh, SPCA yeah. had to be on like all of these things. This did not have a no animals were harmed in the making of this film at the end of that one. <laughs> Some animals were harmed in the making of a gear. But by a crazy actor, so it's okay. Klaus Kinski, you know, who can blame him? 
crazy actor, crazy director. Yeah. Irritated by the noise from a hut where cast and crew were playing cards, the explosive Kinski fired three gunshots at it, blowing the top joint of one extra's finger. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he seems volatile. I think that's the best word to describe him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and apparently he wanted to play the character as like a raving, loudmouth maniac. Yeah. And Herzog wanted to be much more subtle and smoldering. And smoldering. Yeah. So he would purposefully like make him super angry right before they would film until he would explode and just yell and scream and get all his anger out. And then as soon as that was over and he was like ah, ah, settling down from that, then he'd roll camera action. and action, call action. <laughs> so he'd have to play it smoldering because he just got over his anger. Yeah, he's exhausted. Yeah. Uh, method directors, how the actors must love them. Has anybody seen The Fountain? I am, uh, I'm not a fan of The Fountain. I what's, can't say that I like the movie. What's the story? It's kind of a bizarre time-traveling interdimensional thing, but one of the plot lines, like there's these three interwoven plot lines. Hugh Jackman stars in it, and one of the plot lines, he plays a conquistador who's looking for the Fountain of Youth. Oh, uh, okay. Another one, he's like way in the future, and he's flying through space with a giant tree of life in a, okay. under like a space bubble. <laughs> and then the third storyline is it's like he's a scientist who's looking into – like the origins of life and stuff like this. So presumably the Fountain of Youth is the doomed expedition part of the movie? It ends with him like an Aztec Jaguars swinging a flaming sword at his head. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you need to finish that scene. Yeah. <laughs> and it's super slow-mo. Like it must have been shot at like 600 frames a second or something because they're moving like a millimeter at a time. It's cutting back and forth to like the space footage. Because uh, that's kind of the doomed expedition too. Like he's going, he's flying to the edge of the universe or something. All right. Presumably ends but i i don't know it's incomprehensible to me it's the aronofsky movie that i can say i didn't love into the wild i enjoyed it quite a bit i really delight in the tale of an idiot doing something stupid and getting his comeuppance so <laughs> what was what did he do <laughs> he wanted to go up into is it alaska it's been a while since i saw it yeah. young guy gave away all of his money goes up into alaska he's gonna live off the land but he doesn't really know how to do that. He doesn't really know how to forage for food. He's not got the proper supplies. And he sort of starves or is poisoned by eating the wrong berries and mushrooms. Sort of unclear, but um, he meets a terrible end. True story. Yeah. Yeah, true story. It, it, it was a, I think Krakauer wrote the book. Oh, now I feel bad for calling him an idiot. I forgot it was a true story. <laughs> yeah. I take it back, everyone. Jessica is right in the fact that it, the movie starts out. It's like, oh, I'm going to move to Alaska and like, live out in the woods by myself. And he's like like eighteen years old, right? And yeah. and kind of everybody along the way is like, really? That's what you want to do? It's kind of silly, isn't it? Like you, you know, you're like a free spirit, life, man. Your whole life is ahead of you, and it's like it's all I've ever wanted to do. And this is what I can I'm survive off do. of karma. But yeah. he uh, and there's a bunch of situations along the way where he kind of extricates himself roughly or by accident, or like he's always getting into these jams, right? And he yeah. finally gets up to where he wants to settle in. I think I, I read up a little bit about it afterwards because I sort of found it fascinating. In the movie, they suggest that he ate a poisonous berry and it gave him, you know, he couldn't forage for food. He couldn't, and he hadn't built up any supplies because right. he'd only been there a short while. And so he just like basically laid, laid in his in this bus that he'd converted into his campsite and withered and died, right? Oh, right? Whereas in real life, I think they just found his body and they don't really know why he died, but they, you know, they found his journal where he talks about eating these berries and not feeling well. And, you know, they found these books where they laid open to these poisonous berries. So they just like kind of, he died from ennui. 
Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> what about the Abyss? Yeah, the Abyss is a pretty good doomed expedition. What were they expediting? They were, uh, it was an underwater expedition. They started off as they were all members on like an underwater oil rig, mm-hmm. but then they were sent to investigate this new super deep thing and some kind of reading coming off of it. Boy, it's been a while since I've watched it. Yeah, it's kind of like the underwater version of Alien, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, building this deep sea oil rig that like the floats kind of on the top, but there's a like almost like a buoy up on top, but the actual rig is deep, deep undersea. And then, yeah, then they get some sort of like signal that they have to go investigate and blah, blah, blah. The only things I remember for that movie is the wedding ring down the toilet. Yeah. And yeah. the breathing in the fluid that oh, allows yeah, them to oxygenated. breathe. That was so cool. That's real, too. That's what's awesome about that. That fluid exists. That is really? pretty cool. Yeah. I believe that the, the rat that they put into it was real, but I don't, I don't think the actor actually breathed it. Right. But when they put the rat in it and you see him in the film, like actually, you can see it like struggling to breathe in and out this liquid. That actually works. They can do that in the lab. So was this expedition doomed? It was doomed until the interference from the magical aliens who uh, live at the bottom of the abyss and they saved everybody's lives. Saved and everybody and sent their terrible small city model up to the float at the top of the ocean. And but somebody must have died. Did anyone die? No, anybody died. Let me, I think on the doomometer, this would be this very, very low no, score. One or yeah, two. Sphere was yeah. much doomier. Fear? Sphere. Was it an expedition as well? Yeah, it was an undersea. Undersea, they find a magical alien thing. Lots of people die. Okay. It's not a good explanation. I haven't seen it, so. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one with Sharon Stone? Yeah. Oh, right. It was Sharon Stone and Samuel L. Jackson, I think. That's right. I've seen Cube, but not Sphere. Cube, much Cube better than good. Sphere. Cube was very That's good. These, these is the, no, but they're all polygon movies. Right. <laughs> uh, we've already mentioned how much we like the documentary Endurance, the yeah. Shackleton story. So. Excellent, Doc. The full title is The Endurance, Shackleton's Legendary Ar- Antarctic Expedition. Uh, people should check it out. If they're all interested in that story that we recounted in the course of the podcast, they'll be. Yeah, and I am not the type of guy who watches a documentary like this and normally really enjoys it, but this one was really, really enjoyable and interesting and just kept us focus the whole way through i mean the part they, i mean they use a lot of stock footage that yeah. you know uh, it had absolutely nothing to do with the mission or whatever but the amount of material the amount of still photos and actual film they had from the actual mission mm-hmm. i just like it just kept me glued to the screen because yeah. i wanted to see what was coming next plus it was narrated by a jedi <laughs> and then at the mountains of madness is of course the hp lovecraft novella oh yeah okay i'm sure there's some comics adaptations mm-hmm and almost made into a movie, slated, slated to be made into a movie by uh, Guillermo de Toro. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And this is the story of uh, some geologists who go to Antarctica to, you know, do science. And uh, they come up against some elder things. Oh, yeah. They find an ancient alien city. And apparently these aliens have created all life on Earth. And they had a race of servitor creatures called the Shoggoths. And there was a rebellion, and Shoggoths are horrible, and oh, the insanity, oi! <laughs> and uh, people go mad, and it's uh, it's good, excellent. All right, good times. I don't think I've actually read that one. Oh, you should. Yeah, it's got giant I? albino penguins. You know, all the stuff that we talked about in the doomed expeditions with all the polar stuff, and, you know, that this was written at that time while right. all those things were happening. This is like in the 1930s. So, so he's taking, you know, current This events. is all fresh yeah. In, yeah, in people's minds at the time. He's adapting it to his uh, fictional mythos. Yeah. This, I think this brings us to the conclusion. Yeah. 
I think this doomed expedition is over. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Neeson inside a small room, slowly filling with water. To comment on our episodes, make a donation, as well as videos, pictures, links, and to download Caustic Soda ringtones, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Email questions and comments to info at causticsodapodcast.com. Are we done? Can I go?